Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to build a thriving and sustainable business as an author. In this week's episode, we discuss the process of self-publishing a series that had previously been traditionally published with New York Times, USA Today, and Amazon bestselling author Jennifer Ashley. As you'll hear during the interview, Jennifer didn't just decide to continue her Stormwalker series. She also made the decision to invest in the continuation of audiobooks for the series by hiring the same narrator her publisher had selected to narrate the books originally. But we go way beyond just that one topic in this wide-ranging interview. We also dive into things like how and why Jennifer gets involved in the audio production of her books, the various ways she has her books translated into different languages, and why she takes such a hands-on approach with every aspect of her indie publishing business. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a new weekly podcast I'm involved in with Michael Anderley and LMBPN Publishing. The show is called Ear Crush. And our objective for the show is to deliver professionally narrated stories and behind-the-scenes information to readers who might also enjoy listening to audio versions of stories. As you must know, the popularity of audiobooks is exploding right now. But there are still way too many people who don't yet understand the pleasure that can be had by listening to a well-written, professionally narrated story. Our hope is that by making this short-form audio available to people, it will eliminate some of the barriers to entry that subscribing to an audiobook service like Audible might present, and it can just allow listeners to enjoy hearing stories that feature some of their favorite characters. In our case, we're starting out by using the narrators of LMBPN's existing audio catalog of a little over 100 audiobooks now, and we're asking them to narrate short stories that feature the series characters of the existing LMBPN books. Obviously, the hope is that listeners will enjoy the stories enough to want more of those characters and the narrators, which they can get by grabbing our audiobooks at Audible or iTunes. I'm really excited about the possibilities of this project as a way of introducing audiobooks to listeners and as as an exercise in marketing. I hope you'll check it out and let me know what you think. Again, that's Ear Crush, ear as in the two things on the side of your head and crush, like I have a crush on someone. You can find Ear Crush by searching on your podcast app or just check out the show notes. I'll have a link there. Okay, back to the business at hand. I started today's interview by asking Jennifer Ashley why she decided to keep her Stormwalker series going as an indie published series. I decided to take Stormwalker indie because I wasn't thrilled with the contract I was offered for book four. Um, I can't remember if they offered me uh, another three book contract or just one. I can't, I really can't remember now, but I decided that I did want to focus on some other series in my traditional publisher that were doing really well. And I would prefer to keep a little more control over the Stormwalker series because, um, frankly, the publisher had asked me to do a few things with the first couple of books that I really didn't like and I don't think made the books better. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it more to go back to my vision. Um, they wanted it to kind of go the direction of erotic romance, and I was trying to write fantasy. 
um, urban fantasy, and I was trying to keep it uh, a little more that direction. So I wanted to explore more the fantasy side of it and and not the erotic side of it. Because when it first came out, that was really, really popular was to do, you know, make everything into erotic romance. But, you know, that kind of subsided. And I really wanted to take this back to where my original vision was. When you made the decision to do this, were there any... Were there any issues that you had with the with your with your publisher with regard to continuing it as as an indie? No, um, none at all. I think they were kind of relieved that I didn't want to do it with them anymore. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I think they they didn't know what to do with it, so uh, no, they didn't have they they didn't have any issues. And also, I was I'm writing this under a pseudonym of Allison James, and my other series with them were under Jennifer Ashley. So they were kind of like, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to clash. Okay. And then, then we get into just some of the technical details of doing this and, and some of the problems. I've, I've seen this with other people where it's, it's sort of difficult to get online retailers to recognize that this really is a series because three of the Mm -hmm. books were published by one publisher. Three of the books were published by you and the numbers don't line up. The pricing doesn't line up. Um, what, what was your thinking as, as you were going through the process of publishing book four? Okay. Well, when I was going through the process of publishing book four, I actually wasn't thinking about any of that. I was just going let me get this book written. Let me get this book out. Let's see what happens. Okay. Um, I did not realize at the time, and I realized this later, that, yeah, the vendors won't uh, – well, some of the vendors have no problem listing all your series as a series. Mm-hmm. Um, iBooks in particular is very good at listing all your series together. Um, and you just – you know, all you have to do is, if they don't, you email them through their, their customer service through iTunes Connect and say, can you listen? And they do it. It's really nice. Um, the large vendor... Um, <laughs> to be unnamed. <laughs> ...out there, <laughs> to, to mention no names, um, refuses. They say it's a technical issue that they can't list uh, series books by two different publishers on the same page. And I've argued and argued, and they will not do it. Um, it's and it's interesting. Like the print books, they will, but the e-books, they will not. So um, that was a challenge. But um, the good thing is that the other books in the series appear in my also bought mm-hmm. um, list. So and people kind of know. And I do very blatantly say this is Stormwalker book four. And on my website, of course, I have it all listed. Yes, you know, yes. it's all one series. So, so yeah, that was a challenge. I didn't realize at the time it was going to be a challenge because I didn't think anyone would be that stupid. But apparently, they are. <laughs> not that, but we're not naming whoever that might be. That not might not be that, naming any that, names. That might be that stupid. Um, and yeah, and when I was when I was researching you and researching this series, it's like there's nothing anywhere other than in the book description that says this is book four in a series or five. Although if you do search yeah. for the series name and book number four or five or six, the, the correct book comes out. But it, it's got to make it a challenge for readers. One of the good things, though, is you don't have that series list at the bottom that's got high-priced, 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 
low priced, low priced. Um, yeah, did, that's did, true. Do you get pushback from people who come into the series at the indie prices and who want to go back and read the original books that are still traditionally published? Oh, yes, I do a lot. Um, and I did not realize that was going to be a huge issue um, when I first did this. But um, yeah, so I do get people who come in at book four, especially as I have book four free. Yes. And they do go back to book one. And, and my publisher, in, in their infinite wisdom, actually raised the price of that book. It, used, it came out with seven ninety nine. They raised it to eight ninety nine. No, I don't know why. So people are going, why is this first book eight ninety nine for an ebook? And so I, you know, uh, people who really, really like the series are willing to to buy it. I think it's the people who are kind of, well, I'm not sure on mm-hmm. the fence, who won't go back and get it. And what I'm trying to do is put out enough books in the series so that the people who refuse to read the first three can get enough of the series and enjoy it without having to read the first books. And it. it- are you, in effect, treating book four as sort of a book one by offering it for free? Yes. Um, it's not the best strategy. The best strategy is to offer book one for free, but mm-hmm. obviously I can't. So I do book four, and I do get a lot of downloads. I do get a lot of feedback on it, good feedback on it, and I do get a lot of uh, sell-through from it. And I have put that one – I have done uh, book bug feature deals for that and that has really helped the series. And I can tell when um, I can go in and look at my my Berkeley sales. They have a they have a author portal where you can go and actually check your sales each week. Oh, really? And I can see. Yeah, you can. And I can see um, when I do have a new release or I do a big promo on Nightwalker, which is book four. Um, I can see a rise in sales on the first three books. Hmm, interesting. And are they? Do they give you the kind of detail that you would get at the other electronic retailers? No. Uh, <laughs> sadly, no. Um, I, I uh, actually, um, they asked early on for my feedback on this portal, and I, and I said I'd like to see a much better breakdown on sales, like per vendor and stuff. But they won't. They'll tell you what your ebook sales are, and they'll tell you what your print book sales are. And they'll break the print book sales a little bit of like where they shipped it, but you cannot tell who bought what where. So, but it you know it's better than nothing. I can at least say see where what sold in e and what sold in print. Okay. Now, was this particular series was this was this your first uh, dipping of the toe into the indie water, or or is this something that you've been doing for a while? Because for for people who didn't hear the intro that just went right to the right to the interview, you're a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author. You've got over a hundred, I think, um, yeah, novels and and novellas out there. A lot of titles I couldn't get through them all when I was doing the research. You've been <laughs> doing this for a long time, primarily as as a traditionally published author. Yeah, I started traditionally publishing in two thousand two. Um, but it, this is the Stormwalker series is not my first indie series. Uh, okay. In 2011, um, I had actually the rights back to six books of a mystery series that had gone out and been remaindered. It, it didn't do anything, and they just pulled it. And I didn't do another contract. That, and so I had these six books, and I said, you know, there was a, I had a lot of fans for the series, actually. And I had, 
get got email after email saying, are you going to continue the series? Are you going to continue the series? And I knew no publisher was going to touch it. Mm-hmm. So when 2011 came along and I looked around and I saw some other authors who had uh, rights back to series were putting them out and not doing badly. And I said, well, you know, what the heck? I, it's better than just sitting on my laptop with nothing or sitting in the drawer and you know if i sell two copies that's two more than that's two more than zero that's a you know that's a good thing so i i published republished the first six books of that series and then i continued it and that series which is uh i write it as the ashley gardner and it's the captain lacy regency mysteries that series has become one of my best sellers and my best uh yeah best sellers and it's got me on USA Today, and it's a big hit with fans, um, and I owe a lot to that series. And so that encouraged me to try um, to take Stormwalker Indie. Which it's a little bit different situation with Stormwalker because the traditional publisher still has the rights for the first three books. Um, and that other one, I had all the rights back. How, how did and, you get those rights back? Uh, well, they, um, the book was out of print, and this was uh, th- those books were out long before ebooks. Okay, all right. So e-books. it wasn't as easy to you just know. keep them alive uh, and, and honor the right, contracts right. as it is now. Okay, right, because that, I mean that was way pre ebook, mm-hmm. and those books had been taken out of print. They were out of print for at least five years, and um, in in the contract, if the book drops below a certain number of print, or if they take it out of print, you can ask for the rights back. Um, so, but you did have to yeah, ask for the rights back. They didn't just say, send you an email and say, "Hey, here are the rights back to your books." Right, right. You have to, you have to, you have to formally request it. And I have gotten rights back that way to some other books that are out of print too that I have not yet turned around and republished in the, for various reasons. Um, well, time is the biggest one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I, I want to get to the time issue. In a little while, because I'm just looking – in going through this, I was looking at your publication schedule, and it was kind of giving me a headache, and I don't know how, <laughs> and how you do it, but we'll get into that. But with the Stormwalker series, the first three books in the series, traditionally published, and you had audio done for that series, and you yes. decided to continue with audio with the self-published version. What was your thinking behind yes. behind that? Well, um, the – well, one is uh, Hilary Huber, who does the audio for those, is just such a fantastic narrator. And actually, those books sell really well in audio. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, uh, I, and as soon as I put out the next, put out the, the Nightwalker, I did get requests from people saying, is this an audio? I've been following this series in audio. Please, please, please put audio out. So I, I did that. I believe... Nightwalker, I actually got a contract with an audio publisher, so that one I didn't do myself. Okay. But then the the next two, Dreamwalker and the latest one, which is called Dragon Bites, I did the audio myself, and I you know, and I did that because well, I like I like the control, I like uh, being able to listen to the book before it's published, so if there's any problems, I can catch them, and and it. I, I also like it because it helps me um, really be uh, deeper into my series. I really know the books. You know, I've written them. I've edited them. I've, you know, well, I have an outside editor as well. But um, And then I go through the audio, and then I go through all the files, and I listen to them. And it really 
keeps me kind of more in touch with the books and the characters than it does if I farm it out and have someone else do it. And even though I have to pay the narrator, um, actually the the audiobook contracts that you know you get for a midlist title like the Stormwalker series are not. Mm-hmm. It's not huge money. It's you're not going to go buy a yacht on an audiobook contract <laughs> <laughs> by any means. Mm-hmm. You know, not even not even a rowboat. I don't think so. Um, and and I just kind of like the control of being able to choose who the narrator is because if I get a contract from an audiobook company, I can say I really want Hillary to narrate this, but they might say, well, we just can't fit that in her schedule or whatever, and we're going to pick someone else. And I know my readers really love her narration, so um, it's just better for me all around. And, you know, I, I'll i make the money back from royalties. So Yes, and full disclosure, Hillary is one of my favorite narrators, and I had yeah, the opportunity like to meet her in New York, and I, I – we were talking publishing and indie publishing, and she mentioned your story and, and the idea of, of what you had done, and I was fascinated by that. And I, I completely agree with your listeners. When, when you listen to someone that you really like narrate a, a series, mm-hmm. you can't bring in someone else. That just changes no. everything. And, yeah. and you don't want to just read the book because you're used to a different experience. Yes. But for That's you, true. and being involved at the level that you're involved in now with the audiobooks, uh, is, it a, is it difficult for you to listen to the narrator's version of the, of the story? Not, not so much the version of the story, the version of the characters, uh, where mm-hmm. the voices probably don't match up with the voices you had in your head for uh, ancillary characters and things like that. Is that a challenge for right. you? Um, well, actually, no, because I've been extremely lucky that I have found some wonderful narrators. Um, I have, uh, back to my Captain Lacey Regency mystery series, um, I have a narrator there. I've, he has done that. I have, I have indie published those audiobooks from the beginning, mm-hmm. and he is amazing. And like, he's, he's a, it, they're set in, you know, it's Regency, so they're set in Britain, and he's British. And, um, it's like he hears the voices in my head and puts and talk and puts them on audio. It's just amazing. Wow. I just love listening. Yeah, mm. it, he's just really good. So I kind of, you know, have hopefully he will not go away and <laughs> <he'll> keep <laughs> keep talking because. And a lot of my readers say, you know, he is the voice of, and it's it, the books are written in first person male point of view. And a lot of my readers say he is Captain Lacey. There is no other, you know, mm-hmm. so that's really cool. And Hillary also really gets um, the characters, and she does a fantastic job. And then I have another lady, um, Angela Daw, who narrates uh, some Scottish historicals I do, and and people just adore her as well, and she does a fantastic job. So I really have not... I'm very fortunate. I have not had any problems where I've listened and said, oh, I just really hate how they did that character. Um, I think voice actors um, are just amazing at how they can do so many mm-hmm. different voices. It's just And remember, from so. book to book to book, I, I just find it astonishing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, they don't yeah. remember. They have a process for doing it, but it is it is astonishing. And as a listener of audiobooks, if something happens, and if, if book three, the voice was one way, and in book six, it's slightly different, and, it, and this can be the neighbor down the street kind of thing, as a listener, yeah. you pick up on that. So th- there's yeah. all that pressure to get all of those voices right. Yes. So I'm glad I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> or yes, yes. Okay. How how did you do the distribution for for audio? Are you, did you go through ACX and are you just letting them do it? And and did you go exclusive or non exclusive? How did you do that? Um, I went through ACX um, because it's well. When I started doing audio, there really wasn't a whole lot of choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a little bit, but not a whole lot. But and they they make the process very simple for me on my end. I don't know how simple they make it for the narrators, but I know that it was easy for me. So that for me, uh, since I don't have a lot of time, that was the best way for me to go. And I did pick exclusive, which means that it goes onto Audible and it goes onto iTunes and no other place. And I did that because um, you get higher royalties if you do that. And um, I needed to make my money back. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a little bit more, there's, uh, like find a way voices and some other things have opened mm-hmm. up where you can do a little more, um, narration and then you can put those books anywhere you want. I haven't gone that route yet. I haven't tried that. Um, I don't know if, uh, you make enough back on the royalties to, to, um, cover your expenses or not. I don't know. Um, right now, unfortunately, um, I don't, I don't like when, uh, one company really basically has all the readers, but right now most people listen to audible just, I know, um, I believe Apple is trying to get their iTunes audiobooks going a little bit better and I hope they do, mm-hmm. but it, the truth is most people listen to audible. So I kind of don't have a problem having all my books there because I know I'll, I'll get listeners. Do you find that there's a difference in the revenue streams? And you may not have been doing this long enough to know, but do you notice a difference in the revenue streams for the traditionally published audiobooks uh, that might have a wider distribution than the the indie published books that are going just through iTunes and Audible? Yes, and I make more money just going through iTunes and Audible. Really? Um, yeah, for the... It's it's a little bit hard to calculate just because in the traditional model, what happens is one you get an advance from the the audio publisher, and one you have to split that with uh, because when I sign a contract, uh, my publisher has the audio rights, mm-hmm. so they sell the audio rights to an audio publisher. We get a, a an advance. I have to split that with the publisher. So if the audio company gives me a thousand dollar advance, I get only get $500 from that. Right. And your agent Um, probably gets a piece of that as well. And then my agent gets a cut of that. And then when there's royalties, usually what happens is that those royalties apply not only to the advance to the audio book, but they're also count to the advance of the whole contract. Oh, you're kidding for that book. Yeah. They, so like if I get a, you know, a $50,000 contract or something and I get a $50,000 advance, those royalties from audio are um, put, go into the black hole of paying back my $50,000 advance. Um, so I don't, it's, 
I might not ever see any royalties until the, the book earns out, and then I start getting royalties on top of that. But then, by then, the audiobook royalties have kind of trickled off because it takes a while to earn back a big advance. And uh, for when I have when I go indie, um, I now have about twenty books. I think twenty three books, maybe that I have the that I audio that I indie published in audio. Okay. And so my monthly income from that is getting nice and it's much better than what I'm getting the whatever royalties I see from from audio and and really I do see actually when I look at my royalty statements I can see what's come in from audio. When I get my Okay. I get royalty statements twice a year and mm-hmm. I can look and see what comes in from audio and it really isn't that much. And for people out there listening that are just indie authors, they, they may have skipped right over that where you get the report twice a year from, from yeah. your publisher. That's kind of a <laughs> yeah. thing out there. And it, yeah. it's also – it's a little bit abnormal. Maybe this is becoming a thing now where you, you actually have some insight into how the books are selling with the portal you mentioned from Berkeley. But that didn't used to be a thing, did it? No, that's very new. I think Random House – had the portal for a while, and then when they when they ate Penguin, um, then Penguin authors also got access to this. So I think Random House has had it a little longer, but um, yeah, and it's not it's only updated say once a week, sometimes once every couple of weeks. So you're not really getting real time sales, and it's it's not exactly accurate either. Because I think there's just somebody inputting sales on the other oh, end okay. from reports that mm-hmm. they get, so it's not real time. So you really and and I don't see audio sales on that. I only see audio sales on the royalty statements every six months. And that's got to make it challenging to do whatever marketing that you choose to do for yourself, and mm-hmm. uh, impossible to do for audio because you just don't have a clue. Yeah, it is. It is difficult, and I mean, I can say, you know, this audiobook is out or the book is out. Usually the audiobook comes out at the same time the print and ebook for my traditional publisher. And so I can, you know, say this is out in e audio, etc. And I've been doing this enough that my readers like the narrator enough that they'll they'll follow the narrator and and get the book because of her or him. Mm-hmm. Now when but you... yeah I go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say you say it's you call it challenge. <laughs> I call it kind of really annoying. <laughs> um, what percentage of your income now total comes from traditional versus your indie efforts? Um, probably, let's see, about 30%. It used to be 50%. I would make... About half, you know, half my income was indie, half my income was uh, traditional. But now it's kind of grown, where it's two thirds indie and one third traditional. Okay. When you when you have a new series come up, and you have a lot of a lot of series, we've already mentioned yeah. uh, a few, <laughs> and I, I get a sense that you just come up with new ideas all the time, and and mm-hmm. you know, how how do you then make the decision which direction to go? Well, that's really tough because I do have six active series right now. So in order to keep those going, I have to basically write six books a year, one in each series. 
Um, so I do have ideas for new series, and I'm kind of trying to suppress myself to not <laughs> start them yet. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, but they're coming. Um, and I have one series that I hope to finish because it it, it was supposed to be just a seven book series and I'm on book five. So hopefully I'll get book six and seven and then, you know, I can start a new series after that. But, um, it is tough to decide, you know, what to work on. I've, it's, it's a little bit easier now that I'm doing much more indie because I can just say, I can, I can really set my schedule better. I'm not interrupted by my traditional deadlines or all of a sudden getting, revisions or edits or something mm-hmm. from my traditional publisher. When I was doing two or three books a year from them, um, it really cut into my indie time because uh, I just had to drop everything every time I got a set of edits um, with the quick turnaround. And, and it was it was pretty hard to schedule things, but now it's getting a little easier. So I, I just, um, and it is true that some of my series sell better than others. So I try to stagger them so that the ones that do really well will give me income through the period that the ones that don't do as well, you know, are out. Um, that's, it sounds like I'm really organized and I'm not, but that's what I'm trying to do. It does sound like you're really organized. And that was one of the <laughs> questions that I had, and, and you've sort of answered it. The whole idea of, for people who aren't familiar with the traditionally the traditional publishing process, there are all these demands that are made on the author, and the, the scheduling is way longer than what you could possibly imagine to get things done. But they might just dump something on you that says, we need, you know, we need your edits back on this, or these are the edits. We need this back from you in two weeks, and you have to stop everything else you're doing and, and exactly. deal with that. Exactly. Um, yeah, a traditionally published book can take anywhere from two years, nine months to two years, And you turn a book in and you may not hear anything about it for six months. And then all of a sudden, one day you get an email or a phone call that says, okay, this is back and where we need to keep going because, you know, a traditional publisher, they, they're publishing, you know, hundreds of books and each month they're publishing a ton of books. So for them, you know, it's, you know, they're just going da dum da dum da dum But for us, it's like, you know, I haven't heard from you in three months. What's going on? You don't know. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of hard to schedule your own time around that because you just never know when you're going to get something and how much time you're going to have to get it back to them. You mentioned that you sort of enjoyed being involved at the nitty gritty levels for audio. Do you also enjoy that uh, for the book publication process, the editing process, uh, the cover design process, all the things that you weren't necessarily as involved in uh, with a traditionally published series? Yes, I do. I do enjoy really the hands-on. Um, I can get a cover that is, that I like. Um, in traditionally published books, um, they show me the cover and I can ask for changes, but sometimes they just can't change them or they won't or it's too late or I don't have as much say. I have a little bit but not as much and some authors have no say at all. Um, in indie I can you know I have a cover designer I've worked with for a long time and she kind of knows what I like and she's very very good at making us a, a look for a whole series kind of bringing it all together so she's wonderful and I hope she never retires. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
and then I and I have uh, an editor that I've worked with for a while, and you know, again, she kind of gets where I am, and it, it's very nice to go with the same editor. So you use the same editor for the 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 the, the completely different series that you're writing. Yes, I do. That's yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't get what I don't get is a what they call a developmental edit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what a publisher will do is they'll they'll look through the book and say, well, you know, you really this character doesn't work. Put in a different character or take this character out or something. You know, really. But I didn't start indie publishing until I had already a lot of experience writing books. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of I kind of sort of know what I'm doing, and uh, you know I don't I'm not at the level where I'm still going. Does this scene really work or not? I know instinctively now. No, that scene doesn't work. Get it out. And my my editor, who may not be a developmental editor, but she is also very good at going. The book is really slow at this pace. Consider tightening this or taking the scene out or something. So you know I've just found good people to work with, which is a big advantage. Um, but I like that because, and they're also very uh, efficient and they're fast, and we get the book done in a couple of months instead of a couple of years. What is, what is your publication schedule now for the various series? You mentioned six active series. Is that six books a year that you're doing? Yes. Because it, it, it almost <laughs> seemed like more when I was looking. I was searching, sorting your books by date. And there's one yeah. coming in October, one coming in July. I'm sorry, one in August, one in July. Um, a couple that had been yeah. published in the last few months. So I just I didn't know if you were like a book a month yeah. person, but uh, every other month. I yeah I I write a it takes about two months for me to write a book from beginning to end. Um, and uh, last year, well, last year I just wrote a lot of books. I I think I wrote seven or eight. I can't remember, but. So I was able to schedule out this year pretty, and they came out kind of close together. I usually don't do that as much. It's usually like every other month. But usually in the off months, I'll publish like a German edition of one of my books or a a box set of of a series or something like that. So usually I do have something coming out once a month. It may not be a brand-new book, but there's something. Let's talk about the German edition because I did I did okay. see some of those. Have you hired someone to do that for you? Um, I self published them, but I do have a translator, of course. Because so you went out and you hired your own individual translator. Yes. Wow. Yes, I did. So they um, it's a it's a company that's in Berlin mm-hmm. um, called Agenter Labelli, and. Um, they, I give them the book. We have a contract. I have a contract with them, and they take the book and they they hire translators themselves, mm-hmm. and they give me back a translation, and then I self publish it just like I would an English book. I just pick German when I do the language, and they also give me a blurb, um, you know, a translated <laughs> yes. blurb, so uh-huh. so it's not English. And yeah, and it it works very well, and and I'm uh, I I don't do terribly in German. And uh, the, my biggest seller in, in my German books is um, I have a, a paranormal romance series called Shifters Unbound, and that sells mm-hmm. really, really well in Germany. It's very popular. And how did you find this company? Uh, it was recommended to me by another author okay. um, who I know is a really good author and you know, a very trustworthy source. So I contacted them, and you know there was this, 
they're very busy because they're very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, pro- the thing with tr- getting a translator is you have to get a very good translator, and it can't just be someone who literally translates every word. They have to really understand how to write a book as well. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, it's a bit costly for a really good translation, but it's worth it. Now, is, are you paying them to do this, or is this a rev share thing? Um, I pay them a flat fee okay. up front. Okay. Uh, you're, you're obviously a very hands-on person when it comes to, to your publishing. There are lots of people that I've yeah. talked to uh, who have just like, well, I just told my agent to go out and sell the German rights or you know, whatever, the international rights, and they do it that way. But you mm-hmm. chose to do it yourself. Well, I did with German because um, for some reason it's easier to find a German translation translator and – uh, the German market is very big. Um, German readers read a lot, very much like American readers or, or British readers. They're, they're, they're just voracious, and they like a lot of American series. And you know, um, For other countries, there's not as much um, – it's a little bit harder to find translators. And so my agent does sell um, – my foreign rights to, to some of my, my indie published books. Um, we just got a contract in Slovenia for mm. one of my historicals that's indie published. And, you know, I probably never, ever would have gotten my book, you know, in Slovene in, by myself. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just depends on the country and the ease of which it is to work by yourself. When you're selling your books in, and we'll use German Germany as as an example, mm-hmm. do does most of the revenue come through Amazon, or are there other outlets for selling books there that that we don't see here? Yeah, um, Amazon is is big. Amazon Amazon Germany is. I get a lot of sales there, but there's another company called Tolino. Mm-hmm that, um, you know, we don't have access to here, but it's very big in Europe. And on Tolino, I get, I get very good sales. Um, and I, I access them through um, Draft2Digital, which is a, an aggregator. Um, you can upload through Draft2Digital to many different um, vendors like um, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, uh, iBooks, and I use them mostly now for the, the vendors I can't get to myself, like mm-hmm. Tolino. Also, over, they do they have access to OverDrive, where you can get your your eBooks into libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to use them a lot for iBooks until I started uploading to iBooks myself. Is the Tolino portion of your German revenue meaningful? Yes. Okay. It definitely is. And did that I take a while Amazon, to grow, or or was it there from the start? Um, that was pretty much there from the start. Um, the Amazon is a little bit more, but Tolino is kind of catching up. Fascinating. I mean, it's, it, this yeah. is the kind of thing that, that most authors in the United States aren't really thinking about, most, most indie authors in the United oh, States. Yeah. But it is, it is a great revenue stream. Um, mm-hmm. and, and learning the more we can learn about this, uh, the better for all of us. Yeah, I think so. All right, I've got some quick questions for you, then we'll get out of here. Um, what's, okay. what's the last book you bought to help you in your journey as a creative entrepreneur? Um, the last book I bought, let's see, it's right here on the shelf. I bought two. I bought The Plot Whisperer and Story Engineering. Those are two different books, Story Engineering and The Plot Whisperer. And I got those because I am very bad at plotting, 
Um, I'm really? really good at character. Yeah, I'm really good at character. I'm, yeah, yeah. And I'm good at dialogue, but I'm really bad at sitting down and figuring out a plot. Mm-hmm. I kind of write, I make it up as I go along. I write by the seat of my pants. Um, and I was trying to get, trying to find some books that might help me a little bit in plotting. And they have helped me a little bit. I still can't plot, but, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's, what do you wish you had more time for in, in both your author business and in your personal life? Um, in my author business, I wish I had time to write more new series that I really, really want to get into. And I also want to start doing screenwriting. I'm really interested in that. Um, and in my personal life, I wish I, I play guitar and I wish I had much more time to practice and get much, much better at that. All right, and I've got to ask you about this because I saw it on your on the bio page of your website. Mm-hmm. You build miniature rooms and dollhouses? Yes, that's the other thing I, I wish I had more time for, but actually I kind of make time for that, so mm-hmm. I, I sneak it in. But yes, I do build dollhouses, and it's, it is actually a fairly big hobby. I just went to uh, a show called Chicago International, and it's kind of like the Comic-Con for miniaturists and dollhouse builders. And it's just like a huge, huge showroom with everything for sale, and there's classes, and just it was just the, an awesome experience. Is is putting these together or building these just something that is so absorbing that it it takes you completely out of the author world? Yes, it is. It's it's very hands on, and but it also helped. Um, I'm also very interested in history. I write a lot of historicals and. In miniature, a lot of people do like recreate historical rooms and houses and things like that. So it's, that's another kind of outlet for my passion for history. That's that's a really cool hobby. <laughs> All right, last <laughs> last question. If you have one, what's your biggest publishing screw up? Could be something that that just happened to you or that you did yourself. Well, I think my biggest regret is I signed a contract with a traditional publisher for um, e-book only editions of books. Mm-hmm. And readers, in spite of the e-book revolution, still like print. And there's a couple of those e-books that are still not in print. And this has been a couple of years, and I still get emails almost every day asking me, why aren't those books in print? So, And, and I was kind of convinced to do this because I had been indie publishing similar books and they were doing very well. So the traditional publisher said, oh, well, you know, do that with us. And I thought, oh, why not? And that was a mistake. I should have done those indie and just kept them indie. But, you know, live and learn. Now, you you do print editions of your indie books, right? Yes. Is that a meaningful portion of your income? Yes, it is. Really? Um, the Yes. The print, print books, I will say, they don't sell anywhere near what the ebooks do. I mean, most of the revenue is ebooks, but a good chunk of um, print of my revenue is print. And I would say, will say that what I get out of print probably matches also what I make on Kobo in ebooks. Wow, that's it's significant. That. that wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. I highly recommend. I highly recommend people do a print edition because it really isn't going to cost you that much more. You do need a cover that covers your spine and do that, that kind of thing, which a good cover de- designer can do. So that's an expense, but the rest, I mean, you already have the book. You can go through CreateSpace and put that out there for free. There's just no reason not to. And that will be another way people can get your books, you know, and you never know. 
Jennifer, this has been an absolute delight. I was so excited once I started uh, researching <laughs> you, and um, it, it just you've done so much, <laughs> and and you. <laughs> I'm just going down the list and I'm like, oh, look at all those audiobooks. Oh, look at the German yeah. books. It's like, I have so many questions for you. This I has know. been terrific. I am so happy that you, uh, that you came on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for asking me. I've been speaking with New York Times and USA Today bestselling author Jennifer Ashley. Jennifer, where's the best place for listeners to find you online? Um, JenniferAshley.com. And also GardnerMysteries.com. That's where all my mystery series are. And I think there may even be a link to that from the JenniferAshley.com website. Yes. All right. Yes, all my websites are all linked together. So just JenniferAshley.com and you can find everything. All right. And thank you all for listening. As always, we'll have show notes with links to everything we mentioned, including the various websites at TheAuthorBiz.com. <laughs>